I call to you and I call to you, but it's no use. People laugh at me. They shake their heads. Let's see how God handles this one. But you don't handle it. I'm asking for help. Why won't you give it to me? So let's just take a minute and look inside ourselves and see if we can relate to words that God chose not to hide. morning, Kettlebrook. <clears throat> Can anyone relate to what, what Nancy read? That's an adaptation of Psalm 22, what we're going to read this morning. And we've all been there. Uh, the topic we're going to cover this morning is when God seems uncooperative. And if you're visiting with us this morning, we are so glad that you've chosen to, to worship with our family here at Kettlebrook. We are a spiritual family who don't have it all figured out, but we follow the one who does in the personal work of Jesus Christ. And if you're visiting with us, you've had on week three of a four-week series that we're calling When God Doesn't Make Sense. We've already looked at when God seems distant and when God seems disappointed in us. And this morning, we're going to look at when God seems uncooperative, meaning we have a plan and he's not doing what we want. Life's not going the way we think it should. So speaking of uncooperative, I'm going to put up this definition, if you could put that up there, Austin, for me, please. This is what uncooperative means. Unwilling to help others or do what they ask. Unwilling to help others or do what they ask. And uh, I don't know about you guys, but I'm glad that this kind of, didn't we have at least one frost already? Right, we've had one to two. And I'm glad about that for several reasons. I have allergies, so it's nice that my allergies kind of settle down after a frost, hopefully. It's been crazy this past week. But also, I think after a frost, your lawn actually grows slower or goes dormant or whatever, doesn't it? That's a good thing, because then I don't have to cut my lawn. And so anyways, I don't have a pristine lawn, but I have a lawn that I'm trying to get to be kind of full, you know, green and free of weeds in general, Okay. Uh, and so my neighbor right across from me, so if this is my house, cut this in half, right in my backyard, I share a yard with my neighbor, and they have a live-in helper to help take care of him, and this live-in helper also happens to cut the lawn. And so I'm in my house, I, I peer out the window, and I see this live-in helper cutting their lawn, and he's using a riding lawnmower and that has a discharge chute, right? Now, he doesn't cut the lawn very often, so it gets really big. And so he's got the discharge chute, and so he's coming along this way, kind of running parallel on the edge of his lawn towards my lawn. And which way do you think the chute is going, towards his yard or my yard? Murphy's Law, my yard, right? My yard. And that kind of peeved me. I kind of got, like, frustrated about that, and maybe I have issues. Well, I know I have issues. Maybe I have issues in this relate. But I got frustrated, and so I went outside, and I said, hey, you know, um, if you could do me a favor, I, you know, I, what I noticed that, like, your hay is coming, I didn't say that, I'm exaggerating, but I noticed your lawn, your, your lawn is coming into my lawn, and so next time you come through, on the first couple passes, can you just go the opposite way? And then it'll shoot into your yard, rather than my yard, right? And they said, yeah, I can do that, and I was like, sweet, okay, I confronted the problem, you know, guy seems reasonable, and he can discharge into his own lawn. Well... Lately, guess what's been happening? The, 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 this charge is coming back into my, 
lawn, and I'd like to tell you I'm a perfect person, but at one point I kind of threw some back. I, I know it's wrong, but I was like, we talked about this, and you said you were going to do it, and I know it's not the right response. I should probably serve him like Jesus and go cut his lawn or rake it up. I actually thought that lately. Uncooperative. Uncooperative. People, including myself, can be uncooperative. What about God, though? What about God? Have you ever felt like God is not cooperating with you? He, he, you're crying out. You're in a certain situation. You need help. You're praying like mad. And it seems as if your prayers are falling upon deaf ears. And oftentimes it's for things more significant than lawn clippings going in our yard. Right? There's a diagnosis and, and you're praying for that person and, and that person is sick and they don't get better or you lose someone before it's, it's too early. You lose your job and you're praying for another one so that you can provide for your family and yet you remain jobless. Maybe it's financial stress. You don't know what you're going to do and you pray and you cry out and God doesn't seem like He's doing anything. And so and in those moments you wonder, is God in control? Does He love me? Is He powerful enough to do anything? Or is He just plain seeming uncooperative in the situation that you're facing. And we might not use that word, but we think, why aren't you doing what I'm asking you? Why aren't you doing what I'm begging you? And this is a wrestle that people have had throughout time, and people including King David in these scriptures. And that's the subject we're going to look at this morning. We're going to look at this subject of when God seems uncooperative with how we think life is going to go, with how we think a situation should play out. And to do that, we're going to look at Psalm 22. So if you have a Bible with you, go ahead and turn to Psalm 22. I think we have that 384 on the Bibles under your chairs. Go ahead and grab one of those. Otherwise, turn to your app. Turn to Psalm 22 as we look at King David express this wrestle too. Psalm 22. We're going to read the first ten verses together. Verse 1. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me, so far from the words of my groaning? Oh my God, I cry out to you day by day, but you do not answer. By night, and I'm silent. Yet you're enthroned as the Holy One. You're the praise of Israel. In you our fathers put their trust. They trusted and you delivered them. They cried to you and were saved. In you they trusted and were not disappointed. But I'm a worm and not a man, scorned by men and despised by the people. All who see me mock me. They hurl insults, shaking their heads. He trusts in the Lord. Let the Lord rescue him. Let him deliver him since he delights in him. Yet you brought me out of the womb. You made me trust in you even at my mother's breast. From birth I was cast upon you. From my mother's womb... You have been my God. And see, we need to move no further than these first two verses to be able to identify. We've all been in a situation, a place where we're literally crying out for God to change this situation, and He doesn't. And in those moments, we, we might agree and say we feel forsaken, which just means we feel abandoned, we feel all alone. This, had, this past week, I had a friend share with me on the same day, their grandpa was in a car accident that put them in, a ho- in the hospital. Their relative committed suicide. And this is within learning the past month that a family member probably has a degenerative muscular disease. 
see, and I don't see my friend, this friend, show that much emotion, kind of a tough guy. But in that moment, as he got that text that said he didn't make it for the relative, I saw a tear streaming down my friend's face in my driveway. And I don't presuppose to know the exact emotions that he was feeling in that moment. But I know that there was sadness, there was loss. And if you were to ask him what he was thinking about God, he might have said something like, God, I don't get it. Why is this happening to me? The same things you and I might think. Maybe he would think, God, are you out to get me? Never thought that one before? You know, you're out to get me. I did bad, so you're recompense, things like that. And maybe he wouldn't say it, but he felt abandoned and alone in that moment because life isn't going how he says. I mean, look at how gut-level honest David is in these psalms with God. And remember who this is. This is King David. This is the guy who defeated like Goliath with a slingshot and a few stones. This is the guy who, if you look in these scriptures in Hebrews chapter 11, is noted as one of the heroes of the faith. This is the guy who God says is a man after his own heart. And if you were to think that God would cooperate with anybody, you'd think it'd be this guy, right? And yet he feels all alone. At this point in the psalm, and because of that, he's gut-level honest with God. (laughs) I saw a commercial, and this is going to change the mood a little bit because we're serious now, and this is funny. But, I mean, this has kind of reminded me of the honesty that David is showing in the psalm to God. If you could play that commercial, that clip. You don't have it? So the commercial was, have you guys ever seen that City Groups commercial where they're like, a couple had been on a date. And then they're talking back and forth and, and he's like, I really had a good time. And she says something to the effect of, yeah, me too. And he's like, I'm going to send you a vague text that says this and that and this and that. And she says, yeah, and then I'm going to wait and respond two days later. And he's like, we're never going to see each other again. And she's like, probably not. And then they go off, right? They're just like, it's like if we said what we thought rather than kind of being PC about it. And in this moment, David is just saying what he's thinking and saying, God, where are you? I feel alone. I feel abandoned. Now, in human relationships, we, we talk about having a filter, which is a good thing. We don't just say whatever comes to our mind, right? That's what the Bible calls wisdom. And yet, do you feel like you could be this honest with God? Like, if you're in this place, you got it now? Now, let's skip it. Let's skip it. So, if you're in that place, do you feel like you can just tell God what you're feeling? That you can be that honest and here's the thing, David is struggling, he's wrestling right now because he's saying, here's my experience, and yet here's who I know you to be, and my experience doesn't seem to line up with who I know you to be. Look at verses 9 and 10 with me. Look at verses 9. He's responsible for creating him. Ever since birth, he's known no other God, he's followed no other God. He learned the character of God through his parents, through his family. He believes God's the Holy One, that He's perfect, that there's none like Him. He knows He's the praise of Israel, the One who gives the Jewish people joy. He knows that His father and grandfathers, etc., have put their trust in God, and God has not 
disappointed them. And so he's like, but I feel like my prayers are falling upon deaf ears. I feel like I'm asking for something and I'm not getting what I'm asking for. And family, who we believe God to be is vital to how we interpret the situations we face. Let me, ex- let me say that again. Family, who we believe God to be is vital to how we interpret the circumstances and the situations that we face. It's all a matter of perspective. Now, would you agree that we treat people differently or interpret kind of what they do or what they say differently if we believe someone is for us rather than against us? Is that correct? This can be for spouses, this can be for kids and parents, this can be for coworkers, this could be for, I mean, me to you. If we believe someone is for us, we're going to interpret what they do, what they say differently. See, this is kind of like when we're consistent parents, not perfect parents, but if we're consistent parents who, who show love and, and grace and we say no, my favorite word's maybe. My kids are like, maybe means no. I'm like, I love it because I don't have to decide in the moment. But anyways, if we're consistent parents who show grace and compassion to our kids, even if we say no to something and even if they get mad and they kind of storm off, you know what I've found is they're probably going to come back and they're going to say, you know what, I'm sorry in that circumstance. Why? Because they know who you are. Family, do we believe that God has our best in mind? Do we believe that He is for us? Do we believe that so that when we face situations where He seems uncooperative, we can filter those situations through who we know Him to be? See, I think David knew that, and that's why he's struggling. Be careful here. I don't mean best in mind with easiest or most comfortable. If you were to read these scriptures, you'd never get the impression that following Jesus is the easiest thing to do, that it's the most comfortable thing. But you would get the impression that it's the best thing to do. And could it be that when we think God is most uncooperative, there's something at work behind the scenes that he's trying to do in your heart and in my heart to allow us to run to him for strength, for encouragement, to become more like him in our character? Could he be up to something bigger than we see? Let's look at verses 11 and 8 through 18. Verses 11 through 18. Do not be far from me, for trouble is near and there's no one to help. Many bulls surround me, strong bulls of Bashan encircle me. Roaring lions tearing their prey open their mouths wide against me. I'm poured out like water and all my bones are out of joint. My heart is turned to wax, it's melted away within me. My strength is dried up like a pot's herd. I didn't even look up what that is anyways. And my tongue sticks to the roof of my mouth. You lay me in the dust of death. Dogs have surrounded me. A band of evil men has encircled me. They've pierced my hands and my feet. I can count all my bones. People stare and gloat over me. They divide my garments among them and cast lots for my clothing. I mean, if it's not apparent, David's using a little bit of exaggeration here, right? He's taking a situation like we all do, Alexander's terrible, no, but, uh, you know, he feels this way, so he's embellishing a little bit that he feels like he's dying, even though he's not. This is kind of like when our kids say they're starving and they just ate 10 minutes ago. They're embellishing a little bit. They're not starving, right? They're just hungry, maybe, that kind of thing. Anyways, David did have spears thrown at him by his predecessor, King Saul. King Saul did chase him and try to have him killed on numerous occasions. Maybe this is what David's talking about in this situation. I don't know. But what I do know is he says, I'm spilling my guts to you. I'm telling you how I feel, and yet I don't feel like my situation is changing. 
See, maybe in our context, many bulls surround me might sound like my spouse just won't listen to me. This won't listen to me. I feel like giving up. Maybe roaring lions might be that my job is consuming my life and I don't know how to change it. I don't know what to do about it. Maybe I'm poured out like water might be a health situation that we're facing that's out of our control that we can't fix. Or maybe my strength is dried up would be like, God, I don't know how much more this relationship, job, health situation, financial stress, conflict that I'm currently experiencing, I can take. I'm crying to you. And it feels like nothing's changing. Verses 19 through 31. 19. But, but you, O Lord, be not far off. O my strength, come quickly to help me. Deliver my life from the sword, my precious life from the power of the dog. Rescue me from the mouth of the lions. Save me from the horns of the wild oxen. I will declare your name to my brothers in the congregation. I will praise you. You who fear the Lord, praise him. All you descendants of Jacob, honor him. Revere him, all you descendants of Israel. For he has not despised or disdained the suffering of the afflicted one. He has not hidden his face from him, but has listened to his cry for help. From you comes the theme of my praise in the great assembly. Before those who fear you will I fulfill my vows. My vows. The poor will eat and be satisfied. They will seek the Lord with praise him. May your hearts live forever. All the ends of the earth will remember and turn to the Lord, and all the families of the nations will bow down before him for dominion to the Lord, and he rules over the nations. All the rich of the earth will feast and worship. All who go down to the dust will kneel before him. Those who cannot keep themselves alive. Posterity will serve him. Future generations will be up the Lord. They will proclaim his righteousness to a people yet unborn, for he has done it. And in these last verses of the psalm, we, we almost notice this really big shift in how David is feeling, don't we? I mean, it's almost as if he goes from watching a debate, wrong, HillaryClinton.com, wrong, HillaryClinton.com, to like Princess Bride. I am Aniga Montoya. You killed my father prepared. Like something happened or he had a huge bowl of Dippin' Dots or something because his mood like drastically shifts. He went from this mood of I can't do anything here. I feel helpless. You've abandoned me to praising God. He like moves from this stage of doubt to declaration of the goodness of God. Look at verse 19. Look at verse 19 with me. The same God he feels abandoned by earlier, he calls him my strength. He calls him, oh, my strength. The other day when my friend was in the driveway, having received the news that the relative committed suicide, their grandpa was in the hospital because of the accident and all of that, you know, I listened. I knew I couldn't fix the situation. I knew I couldn't exactly feel what they were feeling, but I listened And I prayed for them. And I prayed that God would give them a strength that only He could. Talk about feeling like life was not panning out the way that they expected. Right? See, David goes on to state that he's going to declare God's name to his fellow Jewish people. That they would praise God. And then he states the exact opposite, seemingly, what he had stated before. Look at this. For he is not despised or disdained the suffering of the afflicted one. He has not hidden his face from him, but has listened to his cry 
for help. And then he launches into this world, this, this kind of epic world kind of redemption plan that everyone will hear of, David's great God. And here's what I think is happening. Like I said earlier, David's experiencing this incredibly difficult situation. You put yourself in any situation you're facing that's incredibly difficult. And it's causing him to doubt the character of God. And I think what David knows is deep down he needs to view his circumstances through his view of God rather than view God through his circumstances. So this is really important. You guys all see this? Thanks for answering. Okay. This is really important. This is like the day-to-day following of Jesus. This is really important. Here's what we tend to do, and I'll put myself in here. We tend to have circumstances, right? And we tend to kind of have our circumstances run our life. So here's all the circumstances we face day in and day out. And what we do is we allow those to shape our view of God. And I'm going to put God lowercase because I think it's false. We all do this, right? The job loss, the diagnosis, the relational conflict, the, the thing that happens. And so if circumstances are bad, then what do we do? God is essentially bad. He doesn't love me. He's not powerful. He's not in control. I can't trust him. What we need to do is we need to allow our view of God and his character to instead shape and allow us to process all of our circumstances. We need to flip that. And I think David knew that, and that's why he was wrestling. He knew the character of God. He knew that he was good. He knew that he had what was best in mind for him. So as he's facing this difficult situation, he's like, I don't get it. It doesn't seem to line up. But might it be, might it be that the very situations where God seems uncooperative are the situation that he wants to use to draw you closer to him? that he wants to use to shape your character to be more like him, that he wants to, which maybe we think and we want to run away or because we feel abandoned, because we feel like he's that, he wants us to run to him for strength, for courage. This is absolutely true. I said might it be, but this is absolutely true, and here's why I know. Look at this comparison with me. If you put up that slide, that first kind of, comparison slide for me psalm 22 1 my god my god why have you forsaken me matthew 27 the crucifixion kind of as it plays out my god my god why have you forsaken me who says that in matthew jesus next slide please psalm 22 7 all who see me they mock me they hurl insults shaking their heads matthew 27 those who pass by hurled insults at him shaking their heads next please Psalm 22, 8, he trusts in the Lord. Let the Lord rescue him. Matthew 27, 43, he trusts in God. Let God rescue him now. And I believe there's one more. Psalm 22, 18, they divide my garments among them and cast lots for my clothing. Matthew 27, 35, when they had crucified him, they divided up his clothes by casting lots. The very things King David was feeling, King Jesus actually experienced. And if there were ever a time when God didn't just feel uncooperative, the Father, but was uncooperative, 
It would be when Jesus says, take this cup from me, Father, and yet he doesn't. And yet he doesn't. See, in Jesus, you have a perfectly innocent man crucified between two criminals being treated like a criminal. And he tells the criminal, because of his faith, that he'd be with him that day in paradise. In Jesus, you have someone's clothes being taken from the very person who said, give away your clothes, clothe people in need. In Jesus, you have someone who was insulted but didn't retaliate with insults but said, rather, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. In Jesus, you have someone who's beaten, who's flogged, who's crucified, who encourages us to turn the other cheek. Talk about uncooperative. Father, why did you not seem to forsake your son, but why did you actually do it? Might it have been that in the narrative of the story of God, that his perfect son, Jesus Christ, has to suffer on our behalf so that we might be strengthened by him in the midst of our suffering. Might it have been that Jesus had to feel the very feelings of the Father's plan seeming to not cooperate with at least his initial desire, even though he says, let your will be done, so that he could relate with us when we feel like God's cosmic plan isn't cooperating with our plans. Might it have been that Jesus had to experience feeling God is not in control of this so that we could feel the same. Might it have been that Jesus had to experience not feeling loved by the Father so that he could relate when we question God's love. Might it be that he had to experience the Father seeming not to be all-powerful so that we could relate when he's not seeming to change our situation. I want to play you a song and have you listen that I, I think describes this psalm very well and what David was feeling as he wrote it. Last three. 
Psalm 22, 30-31. Posterity will serve and future generations will be told about the Lord. They will proclaim His righteousness to a people yet unborn, for He has done it. The companion to Matthew, John's Gospel says, When He had received the drink, Jesus says, It is finished. With that, his, He bowed His head and gave up His spirit. Friends, if there's ever a time where we doubt if God is cooperating if there's ever a doubt where we, time where we doubt if He loves us, if there's ever a time where we doubt if His hand and His arm are long enough, if His power is there for us, we need look no further than the time when His perfect Son gave up His life for you and for me. See, He was crushed so that when we feel like it, we might gain His power. <laughs> he uh, seemingly didn't have the Father cooperate so that when we 
feel like he's not cooperating with us, we can know his love beyond a shadow of a doubt. Jesus felt rejection and abandonment so that when we feel it, we can know we can be empowered through him. Through his death on a cross, God definitively says it is finished. God definitively beat sin and death. He's won. He's winning. He'll one day win. Through celebrating communion together, we remember the sacrifice of his son on our behalf and are strengthened. Take and break and eat. And we remember that through his blood that was shed on the cross, through his victory, he can empower us no matter what situation we face, no matter what relational conflict, no matter what financial stress, no matter what health scare, he's one. He's one. We can draw strength, we can draw power, we can draw courage knowing he has not forgotten us. He has not forsaken us. He sent us his son. Take and drink. And Father, we pray that in the very situations we have faced, in the very situations that we are facing, that cause us to wonder, have you forsaken us? Have you forgotten us? that we would know you haven't. That when we doubt your character, when we start to view life through our circumstances and that those circumstances form our view of you, that we would flip that upside down. That we would have strength through our faith in Christ to believe that somehow you work all things together for the good of those who love you, who've been called according to your purposes, even though we can't answer the question, why always? Father, encourage us through these truths today and encourage us as we go out this week. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.